The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello. I'm Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. I'm so grateful to have you here. Please go to my host page at Voice America to connect with me in whatever is your favorite way. I really want to hear from you with questions, comments, to invite me as a speaker or consultant, or just to uh, let me know you're listening. Today, I'm very happy to welcome Shaki Butler. Dr. Butler is the founder and creative director of World Trust, a nonprofit based in Oakland, California. She's the producer and director of groundbreaking World Trust documentaries, including The Way Home, Women Talk About Race in America, Mirrors of Privilege, Making Whiteness Visible, and Cracking the Codes, The System of Racial Inequity. She travels extensively across the United States to share the films and catalyze change. Dr. Butler is a master at inviting people to see themselves as indelibly connected to each other and the world we live in. She's a multiracial African-American woman, African, Arawak Indian, and Russian Jewish, whose work as a creative and visionary bridge builder has challenged and inspired learning for over two decades. Welcome, Shakti. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to have you here. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a very long time, and I <laughs> wanted to I wanted to share with the listeners a little bit about how this came to be. Um, I originally saw the film because my friend Amakela, who does the lead-in music for my show, please check her out on my host page, everybody, uh, did the music for your, your film, Cracking the Codes, and I was so moved and inspired by the film. And then I got asked to do this show, and you were on my original list of guests I must talk to. And we were talking, me and my producer, uh, he was asking me questions to see if they wanted to have the show after I envisioned it. And we got to you, and he said, how does, how does race have to do with loss? And I was a little bit surprised, you know, oh, people don't know that it does. And so I talked some about um, the, the loss to our society, but also the, the losses of safety and opportunity. And I went on for a while. And then he said, I'm getting off the phone and I'm going to sell your show now. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I... I uh, and then subsequently, when I would talk to people about the show and mention it, I would get that same comment a lot. Mm-hmm. 
what does what what does racism have to do with loss? So I'm sure that we will illuminate a lot of people today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's start by talking about the work you do at World Trust. Can you can you give us all a sense of uh, kind of what you do and how you do it? Well, yes, I I think I'll start, if you don't mind, by giving you a little bit of my history, which so deeply informs the work that I do. Mm -hmm. And that is um, living and growing up in New York City and becoming bicultural when I hit the third grade. So let me explain what I mean by that. I am, um, as you read, the daughter of an African-American man. Oh, technically he was born in Barbados, but he came here as a teenager. And his uh, mom was Arawak Indian, and my mother was born in Russia. And when my parents married, uh, we lived in Harlem uh, because that was a place where we could live as a family. And I went to... um, Everything in my life was part of the black community. The schools that I went to, the libraries I went to, the people who I knew, et cetera, et cetera. And my mother, of course, as a white woman, was simply my mother. When I went to the third grade, my parents uh, put me into private school because they wanted me to have a quote-unquote better education. And I had the experience of being in an environment where I wasn't particularly wanted or welcomed And then going home at night and feeling wanted and welcomed in my community and by my family, of course. And so it didn't take long, even though I couldn't language it, to realize that I had two very different lived experiences. I expressed it simply to my parents by just saying, I I don't really like it at school. I I don't feel good there. Um, to developing a more sophisticated analysis um, that would allow me to express my experience when I got older. And so my work has really been deeply informed by the fact that we live in a country that has a dominant culture, and those people who do not fit into that dominant culture or fit into the dominant culture in varying degrees have a very different experience. And it is, an, it is an experience that really, in terms of your show, we could define as a sense of loss. And what I mean by that is a loss of many things, a loss of um, being able to feel like one belongs, which is a personal individual loss, but also the collective loss of being part of or not part of the larger society in certain spaces and places. And so that has driven me to create a kind of work where people can come together and talk, not just in a general way, but in a really specific way about what the system, the system that has been created and flourishes because that's what systems do. They, they are programmed to survive. The system of racism, which, you know, functions like any other form of oppression, but part of that is to keep us disconnected to one another. Mm. That's something that really uh, impressed me about the film, uh, the way that you were able to uh, tell the facts about the impact of race and also tell people's stories and put those two together. Uh, People from all different perspectives, uh, you know, 
on racism in America, but there's a sense of, I guess I want to say togetherness or, uh, you know, we're all kind of in it together in a way that I don't often encounter so deeply. Well, you know, I, I think that what happens and, and, and it's mentioned at the opening of your show, there's something about being um, in a space and place where you can approach being authentic. Yes. And that authenticity allows the masks that we wear to fall away um, or maybe not even fall away. Maybe you just get a glimpse yeah. <laughs> through, through one of the holes in the mask or something. But when we have a chance to see each other and to expand our capacity to hold paradox, we are the same and we are different. Yes. And in our sameness and in our difference, you know, we are expressing the ways that we've been taught. And I think one of the problems um, when we do try to talk about race is that it's usually very much at the personal level or the individual level where people want to say things like, I don't see color or I am not a racist, because it's really about believing us all needing to believe at some level that we are good people. Mm -hmm. But in order to have a meaningful conversation, you have to provide a frame. And that frame is like looking at a picture where you can see the way the the picture is put inside the frame um, delimits what you can see and shows what you can see, what you can't and you can't see. And I think that we rarely think about how the system of racialization, and I use that word as a noun, really there are many, many things going on at the same time. And to understand the system is important if we're going to really address it. Yes. I, I, I think the clip that we have for this section fits here very well because it, it kind of gives that overall perspective and then shows how that impacts a person. So let's play that now. That's the, the Tillman clip. Right. White boy who walks in the room and is animated and moving around and maybe even a little cheeky is smart. And isn't, isn't he smart? Isn't he cheeky? He's almost looked at as, well, boys will be boys. A child of a boy of color, especially an African-American boy who walks in the room exhibiting the same behavior, walks in and it's, hmm, I might need to keep an eye on him. We are afraid of these young boys. And I'm talking young boys, four years old and above. And that instead of the teacher looking at him or herself and saying, what is going on with me, that this same behavior uh creates fear in me instead of admiration, we pathologize the boy of color. So you get to school and there's a box for you. And that box says you rap, you're an athlete, you're slightly to highly misbehaved, you're not involved or into your education that much, you sell and or use drugs. That's the box that you're accepted in. And in order to play ball, no pun intended, that's how you interact with yourself, your own identity, and this is how you're cool. But you feel like the box that it traps you in is you feel like to be healthier, to be in a more sound mind state, to to think and know and come from a place of foundation in your life is something that you have to be ashamed of and you have to denounce. 
can drive you crazy. Hmm. Can drive you crazy. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And has many people, I feel. Yes. So I, I love the way that that clip sets the frame for what that young man has experienced. What yes. he's talking about. Yes. And um, it it also brings up the part of the film about the police officers. Uh, that that struck me in the same kind of gut way. Um, do Do you want to tell the listeners about that, or would you you want me to describe well, what I'm talking about? Well, why don't you describe what you're talking about? Yeah. Um, there's a section where uh, it's talking about a, a workshop with police officers where uh, they uh, have to say, what do you assume when you pull over an African-American driver and, uh, you know, in a, in a fancy car? Right. And they said things like uh, drug dealer, you know, up to no good, those kinds of things. What do you assume when you pull over a white driver, young man in a fancy car, rich daddy bought the car for him? Uh, I, that just, uh, inc- white and, and um, people of color officers said the same thing. Right. And that said so much about our cultural assumptions to me. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I think that, you know, Cheryl, one of one of the understandings or a part of the understanding that people um, need to have is really to be able to understand how the system functions. So when I talk about the system, one of the examples that I use is, you know, when you think about your human system, you know, what is, what makes up your human system, your, your body? And of course, you can name lots of things, you know, your muscles and tissues and cells and heart and so on and so forth. And that all of these elements of your body are really hardwired for survival. And that is what a system does. And so to understand the system of oppression, and so it could be race, gender, class, but in this case, we're talking about race. We understand that the system is embedded in history and culture and identity, and it's moved by power and economics, Mm -hmm. and it has internal components and external components. The internal components can be personal, you know, an individual, or they can be collective experiences that happen to people regularly. And the external components is all about the relationships that spring forth from this internal wiring that expresses itself in relationships that are interpersonal, institutional, and structural. So in the story that you just spoke of, which is are the young boys or the young men who are stopped by the police and the assumptions that are made by the the circumstances under which they were stopped, those are not just individual assumptions. Ergo, it doesn't matter whether the police officer is white or a police officer is black or Latino or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. The assumptions tend to become generalized Generalized. because that's what's promoted. 
So when my son, for example, was a teenager, now we live in Oakland and, and at the time we lived in Montclair, sometimes we would walk down the street and I would be walking behind him and I would watch as people, women in particular, would cross the street when they saw mm. him coming. Now, yes. my son is my son. You know, he's, he's handsome, he's smart, he's funny, he's mm. beautiful. But <clears throat> when people look at him, he's other, and that otherness prevents them from seeing him in detail. And that lack of detail comes also sometimes from a lack of familiarity. I would say many times it comes yes. from that place. Yes. So it's complicated. And then when it becomes institutionalized because of the history and because of power and economics, the laws and the policies that have been created actually penalize people in ways that are not fair. Yes. Case in point lately with um, stand your ground laws and yes. <laughs> all of that layer yes. of, of oppression. Right. Um, and I, I've actually experienced that um, an example came to my mind, which is that my sister-in-law lives in Walnut Creek. My wife is uh, Hispanic, and it used to be, it's changed a little, but it used to be every time we were there at night, we got pulled over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, every time. It was, it was a regular occurrence. Uh, you know, she just was not seen as belonging. Right. In that neck of the woods, right. you know. Right. Um, and so it's it's very obvious, even to me, not not as the direct um, object of that kind of behavior. It's very obvious if you're right. if you're walking with someone. Uh, but you know, Cheryl, what I think is really important here is to be able to separate out the preoccupation we have with, am I a good person? Or I would never do that to somebody. I'm a fair-minded individual. I don't see color. All of those things um, are not, you know, when we target individuals, we miss the factor that these beliefs and these cultural understandings come from somewhere. We were born into systems that we did not create. We were born into a history we didn't create. And that history and the systems that uh, that are in play, really, we, we become a byproduct of what has been passed on generationally. Yes. And in order to unmask it, we have to understand how this works so that we're not preoccupied with whether or not we're good people, that we're more preoccupied with what does it mean how does it to work? heal this and what does it mean to change it so that everyone has an opportunity to thrive. It's time for our first break. That went very fast. Uh, (laughs) Listeners, you can go to the Good Grief host page at Voice America. And to learn more about Shakti Butler and the World Trust, to invite her to speak or show the film, go to world-trust.org. More after the break. your life your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness if you think you've seen online tv before 
Let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Save on your prescriptions with the RX Savings Plus drug discount card offered by Voice America. It is not insurance, and discounts are only available from participating pharmacies. But 9 out of 10 pharmacies participate nationwide. Start saving today. Print your free card online at voiceamerica.rxsavingsplus.com or text the word Talk Radio to 96362. listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is Cheryl Jones, the host of Good Grief. You can find me at Voice America at my website, www.weatheringgrief.com. Today I'm speaking with Shakti Butler, whose groundbreaking work building bridges between people of different racial and, et- racial and ethnic backgrounds led to the creation of World Trust. Shakti travels across the country with her films to generate conversations and promote education about race. Shakti, there's, you know, I, I've talked about this a little in the first section, but um, there's just so much heart and love underneath the film. That at least mm-hmm. that's how I experienced it. And I was thinking the first time I saw it that you must have, uh, I wanted to know what you did to, uh, in your own life, to bring yourself there because... They're so, it's so hard to stay human, <laughs> you know, in the midst of, of the kind of pain you're talking about. Right. And yet I feel the, the film really succeeded at that. Um, it was, uh, yes, it was about systems. It was about institutions. It was about um, assumptions. And it was about how people live in that, you know, what happens to people in it? Right. Well, you know, that's a very interesting question, Cheryl. I, I you made me think about my, my father, who um, actually, I would say that he was my first spiritual teacher. Mm-hmm. And when I use the word spirit, I mean, understanding that we are indelibly connected as human beings, which of course, if you study quantum physics, you can so easily see how that's true but I won't go into the quantum physics of it (laughs) I will just say that um, I am a meditator I've been meditating for a long time 
And the experiences, the deep experiences that I have had in meditation have provided me with an understanding, an unshakable understanding that we are one. Now, when I say we are one, I don't mean that we are one without responsibility and accountability. Mm -hmm. I mean, we are one that we're swimming in the same cosmic soup. And knowing that that's true and knowing that how you are as a human being impacts me and vice versa, then it really behooves us to understand what does it take for us to pursue having more meaningful, um, abundant relationships with one another and where the places that I would refer to as the enemies of the heart stand in the way. So when we feel um, separated from one another, when we feel like you're not as human as I am, when we dehumanize one another, um, there's a cost to that. And that cost is very high. And you can see it over the long arc of history where people have dehumanized one another for a whole host and variety of reasons, but they usually boil down to power and economics. So to rise above that requires that we, even with the people that we don't like, that we are able to extend our humanity to one another individually and collectively. And and I have to imagine that that experience in third grade and, and onward from there, I'm sure, of feeling that separation for the f- for the first time, in a way, mm-hmm. um, maybe led you in the direction for to uh, to looking for a place not to feel it. Uh, you know, I don't know whether something taught you to be geared that way. Your father, of course, and it usually those things get reinforced somehow. Right. But, I, but I kind of um, that that early experience pops into my head as sort of a loss of a sense of oneness that you had before that? Well, you know, it's interesting because I don't think of it as not feeling it. I think of it as just the opposite. I think of it as really accepting that life has its ups and downs, Mm -hmm. its pain, its suffering, and its joy. Mm -hmm. And that to be fully human, I get to feel it all. And, of course, there are times when, um, you know, I, we, we suffer. Everybody suffers. Yes. But the, the other side of that is what do we do? And, of course, we don't learn this in school. What do we do when we are in the company or in the presence of either individuals or rules and regulations that are not uplifting? They don't support life. What do we do with that? What do we do with our feelings about one another when I don't really like who you are? Underneath that, there has to be a place where I understand that you are an extension of me. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to like you. And in fact, I think love and compassion stand side by side with accountability and responsibility. And maybe in a sense, they mean more when you don't naturally love or like a person. Compassion yeah. means more in those circumstances. Right. It, it comes harder. Right. Right. So, so when you're in, I know that you uh, travel a lot to present the film and generate conversations. 
and I'm guessing some sometimes that's a, a kind of um, audience where people have thought about these things and sometimes not. Right. Um, when you're with a group of people who haven't really thought in this way, how does that, how easy or hard is it to bring people to that sense of, of connection, but not ignoring? <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't, I don't really feel like what I'm looking for when I present is to bring people to a particular understanding. They either will or they won't um, have an experience that either heals or uplifts or teaches them in some way about the world in which we live. My goal is really to invite people to ask new questions Mm. because the questions that we ask are usually delimited by the assumptions that we make. And I'm trying to break into those assumptions and invite people not only to consider their own innate goodness, but what it is that we, we want in a world where we are looking to grow, to improve. So my goal is a little bit different. I stopped taking personally a, a long time ago how people respond to the films that I make. Mm-hmm. Some people love them. Some people hate them. But, you know, the point is, do you hear something that you haven't heard before that even if it burrows itself into the deep recesses of your <laughs> mind, that it pops up at some point where you go, oh, well, maybe I didn't know about that. Or maybe I didn't understand that. Or maybe I need to consider that. That's fine. Mm-hmm. That's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Um, do Do you ever have the experience of kind of... Um having a lot of, of negative, uh, you, said, you said you're good at not personalizing it, but I imagine it can be a little intense if people sort of resist you instead of just what you're talking about. Well, Does that happen? it's true. Sure, it happens. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not that I don't have feelings. It's not that I don't get irritated or angry or frustrated or all of those kinds of things. Right. When they come up, I feel like my, my job is to practice what I preach. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've come to understand that when someone lashes out at me, it's because they're in pain. It's because they're afraid. It's because they're suffering in some way. And that the first thing I have to do is acknowledge where they are. I'll give you a typical example. Great. So if I'm, if I'm working with you know, college students, which I do a lot, and sometimes I'm working with two, three, four hundred people, Inevitably, I'll have somebody stand up and tell me something like um, a story about how they've suffered. So if it's, a, if it's a white man, a young man, I'm thinking of the last time this happened, not that long ago, who at the end said, well, you know, I went to school and I was the only white student and, and the students of color were really mean to me and my family was on welfare. And, and he proceeded to tell me his story and he, he, it was very personal. And my immediate response inside was to think something like, didn't you hear this movie? Did you, it's not just, we're not talking about you. But then I'll, you know, I always pause before I speak when I'm having that kind of reaction. And so the first thing I had to do was say, you know, I'm really sorry that you suffered. I can hear that you've suffered. Mm -hmm. I can hear that you've had a hard time. And this is your individual experience, and it's your experience, and I'm sorry it happened to you. What I'm talking about today is a system. 
that has roots long before you were born, roots in the past, that continue into the present, that disproportionately impact people of color in ways that are an extension of your own personal suffering. And that's what we have to learn about. We have to hear each other. And that's, that's the best way that I know how to actually deal with something like that rather than making him bad or wrong. Well, because you, you did not dehumanize him. You know, in in the exactly. process of talking about the system, right. and I and I, I imagine actually that's part of why those kinds of things would happen, because um, what I find is that it's a small number of white people in my life who feel comfortable talking about race, right. And so then, in a way, when you um, come with your heart open, uh, I think it would be likely that people would sort of jump out with their story. You know, Mm -hmm. you've Mm -hmm. created the safety, but not necessarily his awareness of what you're actually talking about there. Yeah? Yeah, well, you know, as a healer, you understand, you know, as much as anybody, if not more, that when a person is injured, that needs to be attended to first. Yes. They're, they're not going to hear anything else. I want to get to beyond the personal and say, you know, in New York City in 2011, young boys, black and brown boys between the ages of 14 and 18 who were stopped by the police routinely, numbered 140-some-odd thousand. Mm. There are only 170,000 black and brown boys between the ages of 14 and 18 in New York City. What is that? Mm. What is that? Mm. That is, we have to be able to hold both the deep personal information and we also have to be able to pull back and see the impact of who's living in poverty, who has poor health care, Who's going to jail? Who's getting a poor education? Who is this happening to? Well, it happens to people of all races and classes and sizes and so on and so forth. But there's a disproportionate impact on people of color. And the darker you are, the more likely you are to have that experience more often. Yes, I I actually, I wonder if it came by way of you. I can't remember, but I saw a... um a video of by a young man in New York uh, about that, and it it was so um, devastating, mm-hmm. you know, just to feel directly the impact of that and what it's doing to mm-hmm. people on a daily basis out of this systemic assumption. Right. Well, it drives a wedge among people, that's for sure. There, there's another one. Um, I love this... Um, information that I get on my computer from Upworthy and yesterday I received one um, about two young men, one white and one black, who filmed, had a film crew that showed them breaking into the car, like, you know, if you lock your keys in the car. Yes. And the white guy was, was trying to get into the car, he did it for a half an hour. Nobody looked at him twice. Yes. You know, the police came by, didn't look at him twice. And then they did it again with this black guy, same age, same, you know, dress, same everything, trying to get into his car. And uh, he was arrested. Mm. Tons of Mm. police came. 
same identical situation. Yes. And for those people who want to go, that's not true. That's not what's happening. You're making it up. You know, there is no such thing as, you know, racism and I'm not a racist and so on. And, and citing all kinds of statistics that forget the history that we come from. As if you can just make it go away. It actually requires more attention than less attention in order to be able to figure out what do we need to do in order to change how the system is actually functioning, to make a cultural change as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And of course, then that, that young man has a record, whereas the white young man doesn't have a record. You know, right. there's just such a, a long um, projection into the future from those events. Yes. Uh, I, I do sit in an office with one person, you know, by and large, and just seeing how those things impact people as as um kind of my vantage point and that you know obviously the system does affect people dramatically yes um so then it sounds to me as if your your I guess your vantage point is so deep in you that that comes to the ready for you when you're talking to particular people in particular situations. That that's probably especially, you know, when you're when you're showing the film, but it seems to me like it's pretty um pretty ready for you, <laughs> you know. Um and I and that implies to me that you've been thinking about these things for a very long time. Yeah, all uh, my life. <laughs> all your life, and, but, and in this particular way. Uh, maybe, I, maybe I read that you've been doing this work for 20 years. Is that, is that yeah, it's actually It's actually longer than that now, but I mean, I've been doing it in this format for more than 20 years. Um, I think that what I what I also like to convey, and I don't know that I that I always do, is that the skills that are required for us to dismantle this system, the analysis that's required, the heart that's required, those skills are transferable skills. So, mm-hmm. for example, if I, I I may be talking about race, mm-hmm. but if you learn what it means to listen deeply, that's going to mm-hmm. positively impact all of your relationships, not just sure. the ones that are connected to race. If you learn to open up and you know do some deep inquiry about who you are and and how you play the roles in your life um, related to suffering, you're going to be a more compassionate human being. So race, you know, in and of itself, people think, oh, well, I'm not really interested in race. I'm interested in gender or I'm interested in class. Hmm. You know, these systems, they operate in the same identical way. Absolutely. And I feel like we live at a time where we're so deeply disconnected from one another. We're disconnected from the earth that we can't afford to waste one brain cell of any human being who might offer new ideas and new ways to be able to um, to lift up society. And that's that's just a great a great place to go to our second break. Okay, <laughs> and we uh, we'll just continue from there when we come back. This is Good Grief at Voice America. You can get uh, more information about Shakti at World Trust. 
www.ghostsofthecoast.org. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Save on your prescriptions with the RX Savings Plus drug discount card offered by Voice America. It is not insurance, and discounts are only available from participating pharmacies. But 9 out of 10 pharmacies participate nationwide. Start saving today. Print your free card online at voiceamerica.rxsavingsplus.com or text the word Talk Radio to 96362. listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. One day coming from school, cops stop boy. Cops do not love boy. Tell boy so. Call him stupid. Bad, stupid, ugly, brown, black, black, brown, ugly. Call him stupid, bad, ugly. TV tells boy what cops say true. Teachers show boy They believe what cops say, true. News say, tubes say, people say, seem like even steeples say, what cops say, true. Boy blue. If you think the black or brown kid is a dealer, you're going to stop him. You're going to search him. You're probably not going to find anything, according to the data, but now you're going to have his name in the system. You're going to be on the lookout for his car. You're able to, in effect, tag him as a possible wrongdoer. And then that's how these folks get caught up, young black and brown men in particular, in the system being harassed over and over and over again, while the white folks, according to the data, are the ones more likely to have drugs in their car, uh, more likely to, uh, to bring drugs through airports, the ones who are the least suspected or the ones who are actually most likely to be guilty. Welcome back. This is Cheryl Jones, the host of Good Grief. And that was a clip from Cracking the Codes, The System of Inequity, by my guest Shakti Butler and her organization, World Trust. 
Welcome back, Shakti. Thank you. Um, first of all, could you uh, let the listeners know the name of the poet? Yes. Um, his name is Jalal Hyler, and he's in the movie. He is our um, spoken word narrative voice, and his mother is also in the movie, Erica Huggins. Mm. I, I have a little side story about Erica Huggins. I attended her trial when I was 16 wow. in New Haven. <laughs> so, uh, you know, she was implanted in my mind for all those years. And then I met her again out here. Yes. Uh, beautiful person. Yes, um, she, she's, a, she's an amazing, amazing person. I love her dearly. And, and she has an amazing son. Uh, yes. It just has so much impact mm-hmm. on me. And then this is the reverse order, uh, his poem and then the vantage point on it right after um, mm-hmm. has a lot of impact. Um, I guess in this section, I, I'd really like to hear what your wildest dreams are. <laughs> 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 I mean, I have some guesses, but, <laughs> you know, for for the world, yes, and for world trust, and, you know, for you, for this work, um, what do you envision? Uh, you know, uh, the thing that popped into my mind as you asked the question is, I think one of my wildest dreams is that we, we, human beings, learn how to really see each other, not just from the surface appearance, but really see with a from a vantage point of um, curiosity and um, a, a willingness to acknowledge that the different ways that we walk through the world actually have meaning. Mm. I think beyond that, I would say that my wildest dream is that we learn how to, I learn how to um, be alive, be a human being who can accept the paradoxical nature of who we are. And to do so with humility and love and compassion, which sounds all pretty wishy-washy, but in fact, I think it takes a great deal of courage and a great deal of discipline to not want to hurt people, particularly if you feel that they have hurt you. Mm. Yes. I, I heard Diane, uh, who was it? The woman who works with the gorillas <laughs> speak once. Oh, Jane, uh, Jane. Jane Goodall. Yes, yes, exactly. And she said, our brains are the same, you know, as, as the gorillas, except that we have the capacity to see that we could do better. <laughs> Yes. And that really stuck with me that um, we do have that capacity to reflect and, and learn and um, practice compassion. Uh, that, that is the only way that goes to what you're talking about because our, our brains are also wired to generalize and, you know, uh, stereotype and categorize and all of that. So uh, it does take effort, I think. Yes? Right. I think that, you know, it, within the system, you're actually talking about unconscious bias or implicit bias, which um, for your listeners, there's this wonderful um, website that you can go to looking at um, implicit bias. You can just Google it, and it's a test that was created at Harvard University 
that really lets you see how your unconscious bias shows up. So most people don't really understand that we're only taking in about 2% of the data that's constantly streaming our way at a conscious level. Mm. 2% is not very much. Not very much at all. We all think that if the world worked the way we thought it should, everything would be okay. If people would just get it together, you know, and Mm. understand that what I see is true and right and good, um, then, you know, we wouldn't have problems. But that is so not true. Uh, Because we, you know, our finite minds really can't grasp the infinite. And that boils all the way down to that 2%. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what I think you're you're talking about in a sense is practicing in a a conscious daily way, uh, keeping an open mind about people. And to ask questions. And to, to ask, ask questions. questions. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's one more thing I want to say about that, which just occurred to me. You know, when I was growing up, when I was um, 10 years old when Emmett Till was killed. And I remember when I first saw his pictures. And I remember so clearly, you know, like literally the magazine, it was Jet Magazine. At the time, I dropped it and I just burst into sobs. I could not fathom how people could be so horrific to one another. Mm-hmm. It was just beyond my imagination. And I always felt like everybody kind of understood what was going on, but some people were just choosing to be mean. I didn't understand the power of culture and I didn't understand the power of education. I didn't understand that the history that we're taught about who belongs and who doesn't belong and who's in charge, how much that all matters and how the resources are divided, how much that matters. So, you know, ostensibly, I could be as good a person as I want to. I could be the nicest person in the whole world. I could meditate and practice oneness, and I wouldn't change a thing if I don't do that in tandem with being um, responsible and, and linking arms with other people who want to make the world a better place. We need all of that. Hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm remembering the part of the film uh, about the uh, relative who looked white who defended her her relation, and she got heard because of the <laughs> because of the cultural um, assumptions. But right. she got heard, and um, it it really. Um, uh, I I already strive to be a person who speaks but it made it so clear how important that is right if so you're you talking about the grocery store the that, grocery that, store yeah, yes that link is on our webpage for people who are curious about it it's a wonderful short story by joy degru and um, she's an amazing speaker and author and and uh, clinician um, that particular story really kind of shows what our responsibilities are and it's funny because I don't want to give away the punchline, but the clerk in the grocery store who had a different set of expectations for these two women, one who looked white and one who obviously was African-American, she was taught to react the way she did. But people want to make her the bad person. She has to be responsible. She has to be taught. But she was responding also in a way that she has been taught to be and unaware of it as well. 
Absolutely. And probably didn't even know she did it. <laughs> you know, I can imagine, that, you know, just on automatic. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so then there's something about intervening uh, with that in mind, too, so that, uh, you know, there are several stories in your film of people intervening, of people um responding to a situation and I'd say uniformly it's that kind of response where you're you keep your heart open Um, well I think you keep your heart open but you also get to use your brain yes and you get to be able to understand what it means to analyze this and and we live in a world that you know has a black white polarity but people of color are swept up in the middle so we don't talk very much about about Native Americans and their boarding school experience. We don't talk about Southeast Asians and what it's like for them to be here and the rate of poverty within the Asian community because the stereotypes are that Asians are people who are really Chinese, Japanese, and maybe Korean, and they get really good marks in school. But, you know, again, it's, it's the stereotype. It's the flattening out of information. It's yes. looking in the newspaper about Hurricane Katrina and having the white people who are wading through the water after finding bread and, and, and water to drink, you know, which is an image of them being brave and courageous. And the young black man wading through water after looting a grocery store presents a very different image. But this is the Associated Press. So what do you do? You go... Mm-hmm oh, there's something wrong with that reporter. Oh, no, that reporter is a byproduct of something much deeper. Mm-hmm. The reporters who, who present the information that way, it's a much deeper challenge than what we are willing to look at. And look, we must, because that's where the healing comes from. And that's how the healing is also related to making change. Oh, I wish we had another hour to talk. We're actually getting pretty near to the end, but I I don't want to leave without giving people... um, Can people see the film who aren't at a workshop? Is it available? Can they rent it? Can they buy it? Oh, yes. Yes, of course. And that would be at your website? Yes. So they can... There are ways to access the film in a number of ways. Buy it, stream it as well as the other films we have. And we also have these wonderful racial equity learning modules, which are for people who are engaged in teaching. And those modules are put together with other organizations. So, you know, we have one on immigration. We have one on how to do a power analysis. We have one on testing that's coming out very soon. And they have deep instruction about how how to use the modules, which have a lot of film and art and music and contemplation to really understand um, what it means to work towards building an equitable society. Ah, fantastic. Shakti, I've, I've really enjoyed talking to you so much. Maybe we'll even do another hour someday. <laughs> um, so thanks so much for being here. Well, and thank you, Cheryl, for inviting me. I really appreciate the time. Of course. And listeners, again, you can go to world-trust.org to learn more. I hope you'll join me next week when I'll welcome Gary Malkin, a multiple Emmy and Clio award-winning composer, producer, performer, and public speaker whose work is helping people use music for healing and support. 
This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. Don't forget to go to the Good Grief homepage at Voice America to email me, like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, connect on LinkedIn. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.